If you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts chapter 10. We want to look at verses 1 through 23. The gospel sent to the Gentiles. We're going to look at part 1. We come to a tremendous advancement in Christianity in this chapter. Uh, We come to the book of Acts chapter 10. We will witness as the gospel and the teachings of Jesus Christ are taken directly to the Gentiles. Now, I say that because it's unheard of concerning the Jews. Up to this point in church history, uh, the gospel has been preached in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now to the ends of the world. The Samaritans were also considered uh, not Gentiles. Uh, They observed the laws of Moses especially in the area of circumcision and sacrificing to God. They were also considered half-breeds. They were a hated group. And yet, in John chapter 4, Jesus went out of his way uh, to speak to the Samaritan woman. The implications here in Acts chapter 10 affect us. We're Gentiles. And so the gospel has come our way. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go preach the gospel to all nations. To the Jewish mind, such as Peter, Gentiles would have to follow the law of Moses, which included circumcision, also following the dietary and the meat laws. Ensuing, they would become proselyte Jews. God has not always concerned himself, listen, Of the outward man. As so many churches do. But he's concerned about the inward man. He's concerned about the heart. And I appreciate that very much. Uh, This was one of the successes. Of the Jesus movement. Pastor Chuck and his wife. They took everybody in. Those of you that grew up in the 60's and the 70's. It was a difficult time. And we had a lot of young people that were uh, basically doing drugs. Timothy Leary was everything. Everybody wanted to find themselves, but they found themselves in drugs, big drugs. We know that the early Calvary chapels are guys that came out of these uh, 60s and 70s. And I was a product at the end of the 70s. And so God, in his infinite mercy, does not look at the outward man. And Peter needs to learn that. But God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. In fact, on Saturday, I met a woman uh, that uh, somebody from our church, it's a sister, and says, this is Pastor Bob. We go to his church. And I I shook hands with her. I welcomed her. And and she says to her sister, now you've seen him, you need to come to church. And her sister, and I'm not meaning this in a derogatory way, she's all tattooed. And I know that's her mindset. And I look at her tattoos and I says, you see those on on your arms and such? She goes, yes. I go, I don't care. I care about the heart. Jesus cares about the heart. You come to church. You come to church. And, And that's the concept. But here's Peter. Again, please understand his Jewish mind, his Jewish heart, his Jewish upbringing. And he's going to tell the Lord, not so concerning the meats. And so let's get into this, but I I love what takes place here. God is going to get a hold of uh, two men. He's going to get a hold of, obviously, Peter, 
but also a man by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius loves the Lord. And yet God speaks to both of them and brings them together. It's interesting to me that it's Peter. Because Peter's always that one I describe as having a sandal in his mouth when we get to heaven. Because he was always seemed to be in some kind of trouble. And yet Peter had a good heart. And so look at Acts chapter 10. Let's go to verse 1. The gospel sent to the Gentiles. Uh, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian band or the Italian regiment. Uh, you're talking about Jerusalem to Caesarea now. The gospel is being spread. It's about a 105-mile journey. And so they would travel approximately uh, 25 to 30 miles a day. And so think about the time spent. It's not easy, the traveling. But listen to Cornelius's background. A centurion was a captain in the Roman army who commanded at least 100 men. Uh, there, in the regiment was considered 1,000 men. And so they would have the 10 men to take care of this. Cornelius commanded the Italian cohort, it's called. Cornelius, Cornelius now listen to me, he was not a slouch. He's an officer in charge of 100 men. But he loves the Lord. He loves the Lord. We're going to see in verse 2, uh, he was a devout man. Uh, the word devout, he was a pious man, a godly man, a religious man, a spiritual man, if you may. And so look at his testimony goes forth now in verse 2. A devout man, speaking of Cornelius, and one who feared God with all his household. Uh, and it says, who gave alms generously uh, to the people. And he prayed to God always. This pious man... Cornelius, a Gentile, listen to his, his testimony here. He's a devout man, but he fears the Lord. The word fear is to have this reverence of God. Once you know the Lord, you're not looking around, oh, he's going to pounce on me. He's got a giant mallet, has my name on it. That's not the way God operates. God loves. He loves so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross. For each and every one of us. But I want you to see this. Not just Cornelius. But his household. Notice that he gave alms to those in need. He also had the ministry of prayer. He spoke to God and God spoke to him. I hope and pray. You have a time of prayer. The Jews prayed three times a day. Specifically. And they would look to the east. They would look to the temple. You need to find time, solace time, uh, to pray to the Lord. But look what's taking place now in verse 3. About the ninth hour, 3 p.m. of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, imagine he's in prayer. About 3 p.m. as we shared. When God spoke to him clearly in a vision, how did he do this? An angel came from God. Is this Gabriel, the archangel? Because he was the messenger so many times. Uh, we don't know. But the voice said, Cornelius? And I was thinking of Mary Magdalene when Jesus said, Mary? And imagine the authority it was said. And look at verse 2. And when he observed him, he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? He calls him Lord, the angel, with a small L here. He said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Please underline that, especially if you're a believer. 
Uh, let me speak this morning out of verse 2 uh, to the believers. If you're not a true believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not born again of the Holy Spirit, this does not apply to you. This is not for you. But I hope and pray you would find that place of a prayer warrior. This is Cornelius. Secondly, I hope and pray you become a giver of what God gives you. And it's important, I believe. It's not why should God ask me these things. You see it in Scripture. And so, so many times we're negative about our alms to the Lord, our alms to help the poor and the needy, because we see, and it cringes my heart, the corruption so much in churches. And I thank God that we've never begged for money here. But God puts it on your heart, the Bible says, to give. We're not about a 10% giving, and yet a lot of people use that uh, leverage, 10%. But it's about giving. It's about giving what? From the heart. If you give a dime, rejoice, because that's what you can afford to give. Give it to the Lord. And so here's Cornelius, a just man. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of giving. And what happens when we follow these simple steps? Number one, God's going to listen to you. Number two, God's going to speak to you. And number three, and I've seen it in our fellowship, God's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. And so bottom line, verse four, to the believer, the testimony of Cornelius the ball's in our court now. It's up to us to do what God's called us to do. Now listen to what the vision, the angel says in the vision in verse 5. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon whose surname is Peter. And so the angel of the Lord is giving the direction. Send some men to Peter. Let me set this up. Cornelius is a just man. And it says his household's just. But now he's going to have to send men that are going to have to obey him. And to go to a Gentile, uh, from a Gentile home to a Jewish home, it's a hardship. Lord, they're going to beat me up. Lord, they're not going to accept me. But what God has put together, how can we question? And Peter is going to question it. Notice verse 6. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner. Remember a tanner. He's a guy that dealt with uh, dead animals. And so... Simon, he has to be Jewish. He says, whose house is by the sea? He will tell you what you must do. Last week, we left Peter at Simon the Tanner's home. How prayer has already worked in Peter. God is asking. God is telling Peter. He's putting this all together. Peter's being obedient right now. But notice what happens in verse 7. And the angel who spoke to him had departed. Cornelius called two of his household servants and then a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. These are servants of the Lord. I want you to see the faith factor. And the faith factor does not work unless there's obedience there. Obedience does not work unless you have faith. And so I'm reminded about James he talks about faith and works. And he goes through this whole scenario. 
How can you say you have works, but you have no faith? How can you say you have faith, but you have no works? You see, they go together. And God works in and through them in our hearts. And so I want you to think of Cornelius. His testimony stood before his servants. They watched his life. They saw his life. They said, I love my master. I want to be like him. And that's important uh, as the gospel works in and through you. And so what's taking place here? Look at verse 8 now. So when he had explained all these things uh, to them, he sent them to Joppa. And I want you to see this because back in the early church we were studying, after Acts chapter 2, uh, they, were, they had all things common. They were all in one mind. They were all in one accord. Remember that word? It doesn't matter who you are in your background, but if we're in Christ, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Men of the same mind, the same heart. Men and women who love Jesus are in one accord, will obey and do the work at hand. It's called obedience. It's called obedience. And so we step out by faith. And so God is speaking uh, to Cornelius. Now we see the vision. And it goes to Peter. God has to speak to Peter's heart also. And again, let's remind ourselves, very Jewish man. Never touched unclean food. And does not go into basically Gentile homes. But he's already at Simon the Tanner's. Again, I question, what about the Levitical law? God was working in Peter. Prayer is a two-way street. We pray God answers. We pray God answers. God hears. We're supposed to also hear. I think sometimes we just like to have a dialogue with God. Lord, I want. Lord, I need. Lord, five o'clock. Shouldn't prayer be a two-way street? I'm guilty just like you. Uh, when I pray, I walk away many times after I'm done praying. Have we sat? Have we waited? Have we meditated? Have we waited on God to speak back? There's been times when I have taken that, you know, initiative. Okay, Lord. And he will speak to you through the word of God. And so everything's being set up now. Peter's vision in verse 9, we begin. The next day, as they went on their journey and they drew near uh, to the city, Peter went up uh, to the house to pray. About the sixth hour now. It's, uh, Peter's in Joppa. It's about noontime. It's good to get away by yourself to pray. Peter chose the rooftop. Now, listen, this was the patio area as we're accustomed in, you know, in, in our country. We have our patios outside. We have our patios uh, off to the side of the house, in the back of the house, whatever you might have. But you, as a Westerner, and myself as a Westerner, your patio's on the roof. What's your problem? That's where all the swamp coolers go. What are you guys doing? And so Peter goes up for a time of prayer. Jesus in the Gospels would often pray, listen to me, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he got away. But the sad part, as he would go pray, he would tell his disciples, stay and wait with me a little while while I go to pray. He would just go about, the Bible said it's a stone's throw away. And he would pray to the Father. And when he would come back, he would often find them, what, asleep. Well, I dreaded that when I read it years ago. 
Have you ever tried to sleep at night? Sleep at night. Pray at night. And you're getting ready to go to sleep. It's 12 midnight. And you got the Bible and you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to spend some time with you now. And then all of a sudden, it's morning. The Bible's still on your chest. And you go, man, I prayed all night. No, you didn't. Look at all the sawdust from sawing logs, right? And so we're all guilty of it. Now, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus always found a solitude there. When we go to Israel today, the Garden of Gethsemane obviously is so beautiful. And I mean, so well taken care of. I just can't believe that's the way it looked like in the time of Jesus. But it was a time that he and his disciples would go up there. Peter is taking some time to pray. Notice verse 10. Then he became very hungry. He wants to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. How long did he pray? We don't know. Either way, he's famished. He's hungry. It's noontime. He falls asleep. This is God's plan. And I want you to think of Peter. What he eats is kosher. He does not eat unclean animals. And so this is where God has to deal with him because he's already uh, spoken uh, to Cornelius through the angel. And so here's Peter in this trance. He says, and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. Imagine this. Now, it's a dream. It's a vision. Some might say it actually was there. You know, at the rooftop, at the garden or the patio area. But I see that he's in a he's in a trance here. And so what is he seeing? And let's go to Peter now. Maybe he's praying, Lord, you know I don't eat Gentile food. Why would he come up with that? I don't know. It's lunchtime. He's getting hungry. Lord, please, you know I eat kosher. Would he come back up with that? I don't know. You know, I follow the Levitical laws on, on certain foods, and, and yet the Lord's going to send him to Cornelius' house. So God's preparing him here. What is Peter seeing in this vision? We're going to uh, get a picture of it right here in verse 12. In it, this great sheet, were all kinds of four-footed animals. Four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. I'm sure they were all the various animals, the insects, the birds, etc. That Peter did not eat. But I want to give you something interesting. A little bit of insight here. I want you to mark Genesis chapter 6, verse 20. The ark is getting prepared for the great flood. These animals described in this vision to Peter is what God said to Noah, place into the ark, uh, prepare for the flood. Part of God's creation. The Lord's going to say to Peter, what I have cleansed, eat. Now, some of you are not going to eat insects and bugs, but if you watch uh, Andrew Zimmer uh, on television, and he's a Jewish man. That boy eats everything. Everything. I mean, I love seeing the show. And I mean, bugs are nothing to him. 
And they're always prepared nicely. You know, they say you put ketchup on anything, it's going to be okay. I don't know. But anyway, what is going through Peter's heart? Uh, you have to understand the Jewish mind. I want you to write this down. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 8, there are seven essential food groups that the Jews were commanded to eat. Number one, wheat, barley, vines, which speaks of the grapes, figs, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. Now, when I read that years ago, I, I was stunned by it. And, and naturally, we understand lamb, we understand the goat and such, but they were limited to certain things. The Levitical law, if you're taking notes, uh, back in Leviticus chapter 11. And again, Peter is a very grounded man in the Levitical law, in the five books of Moses. And so this is a great test for him. I want you to see that. Now, some of these animals that were put on the ark were for consumption, but also for sacrifice unto the Lord. And what God has cleansed, how can we call common? Uh, look at verse 13 now. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter. He says, Peter, kill and eat. Notice the voice from heaven. Is this now the Lord himself? Or is it still the angel of the Lord? We don't know. I believe it's the Lord dealing with Peter, his heart, either through himself speaking or through the angel. But notice that he says, kill and eat. What's the significance here? And killing is for sacrifice. And then the consumption, Peter, eat. What is God doing? I'm trying to think like Peter. I believe he's ushering in, listen, the Gentiles. And that's what Acts chapter 10 is about. And also including their foods. When Paul the Apostle later goes to Gentiles. I mean, he breaks bread with them. He eats their food. He's even involved in some of their ritual dancing and such. Paul became all men to all things to all men, that is. And so again, sometimes, oh, I don't do that. But is God speaking to your heart? What is God saying? I'm all for the Levitical law. I mean, if we, if we follow biblical eating, God's going to bless you. But what, what happens when you go to a Gentile house? What happens when you're invited over? What happens when they put a, you know, beautiful rack of, of ribs? What are you going to do? Lord, bless these ribs. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't eat that. Uh, my wife and I are going to go home. We'll see you later. Oh, where's your hospitality? Where's your Christian upbringing? And so there's a lot of issues there. And basically, uh, people that go to the mission field, they will tell you horror stories of some of the things they've eaten. And I, I can recall several, but one of them I never forgot, Tony Freeman. They're in Africa. And Tony's pretty good. He'll eat anything. But his wife said, Pastor Bob, I had to draw the line when my meat, my meat in, the, in the soup and it had hair. And it wasn't just the strand of hair that we find. It had hair. This piece of meat needed a haircut, she said. Lord, help me. And I can't imagine what they went through. But listen, 
Rise up, Peter, kill and eat. Look at verse 14. I don't know how Peter gets away with this, but he does. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Listen, by the word common is meant whatever uh, was in general use that they ate among the Gentiles. It is to be understood by unclean. In other words, everything that was forbidden by the Mosaic law, and especially there in Leviticus chapter 11. But there is one word to consider here as explaining of the other. I'm going to quote from uh, Clark in his commentary. He says, the rabbis themselves and many of the forefathers, they believe by unclean animals forbidden by the Mosaic law. Listen to this. It was meant to be the Gentiles. That's how strong it was, church. And, and that Peter followed that pattern. But I can't get away from Peter saying, not so, Lord. Peter, you're walking on eggshells now, buddy. Peter, you're, you're speaking to the Lord. But he's speaking from his heart, and God knows this. God knows this, and he has to deal with Peter. This is the whole purpose of the vision. This is the whole purpose he spoke to Cornelius, and now he's speaking uh, to Peter. Peter always seemed to be the spokesman, and at the same time, Peter always seemed to be the one in trouble. The one with a 12-foot, you know, 12-size shoe in his mouth. Uh, that's Peter. And I can identify with Peter. I hope you do. Because I do the same thing so many times. And so do you. And thank God for Peter. And thank God, listen, for the grace of God. Unmerited favor. I deserve judgment. And you deserve judgment. But God gives us his grace. Uh, look at verse 15 now. A voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Peter is at the second time. God speaks to him. What about you? What about me? How many times God uh, lets us know and we still do it? Years ago, I used to rely or always consider the conscience. And I always spoke about the conscience. My conscience is saying that. My conscience is saying that. But as the years have progressed, I have come to know the power of God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit is my teacher. The Holy Spirit, if you may, He is my conscience. The Holy Spirit, Bob, that was wrong. Yes, Lord. I don't know about you, but the older I am in Christ, it seems like that comes real quick after I do something. Especially when I'm, men, listen to me, I'm disobedient to my wife. And the Lord says, Bob. And I go, oh, Jesus, forgive me. And then, I don't mind, listen, Lord, forgive me, but I'm a man. And you go, Mary? Yes? What? <laughs> Didn't you hear me? I said, you can't get it out. Why? Forgive me. No, sometimes I'm so ignorant. Mary, I forgive you. Whoa, watch out with that one. <laughs> that doesn't go very far. But bottom line, 
God is the one that can change us. Jew or Gentile. Salvation has always been to the Jews. Is God changing his mind now? We'll keep reading as he reaches out to Cornelius and his household. So then God created and he gave the Levitical law to Moses in chapter 11. He permitted some foods. He forbade other foods. Here's the question now I have and others have. Can God change his mind? Yes. Why and how? Because he is God. Peter, listen. What God has cleansed, you must not and you will not call it common. Call it common. Years ago, one of the brothers that, uh, his name is David. David Cadron, he passed away. I hope and pray he went home to be with the Lord. His wife, Sylvia, was a strong Christian. Uh, David was one of our guides back in Israel years ago. Uh, Charlie calls me and he says, hey, David's here. And he says he wants to have lunch with us. He wants to see you. He's just here real quick because he's taking off tonight. And so we met. Charlie brought him down to Cruces. I took him to one of my favorite watering holes here and uh, had the best enchiladas in town. And I bought him the pork meat and red chili. Not thinking. I didn't do it on purpose. And he is eating away. He's got a white T-shirt. And he's got, you know, chili stains all over. And he's going, Bob, this is great. Bob, this, oh, my God. Charlie's in the back of him going, don't tell him. And I'm still dumbfounded. Well, it was pork meat. And so we let it go. Now, I emailed his wife later. I said, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to do this. I, I don't do that. But I took him. He wanted to go eat. She goes, he loved it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Peter, listen to me. What God has cleansed, you must not, you will not call common. Verse 16, this was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. Three times. Three times the Lord has to uh, speak to Peter. And don't frown on that as much as you probably do. How many times does God speak to us? How many times God says, Bob, and I thank the Lord for his grace, his unmerited favor, God's riches at Christ's expense. Look at verse 17. Peter now summoned to Caesarea, but I want to show you here the beauty of two obedient men. What a blessing. He says, now, in verse 17, while Peter wondered uh, within himself what this vision which he had seen, what does it mean? Behold, the men uh, who had been sent from Cornelius's house had made inquiry at the Simon, uh, the Tanner's house now, and they stood before the gate. If they traveled about 30 miles, it takes them a day to get there. That's what they estimate the distance would have been. And they're going to stay overnight, then they're going to travel back. And so it would take time. Time for speaking and sharing, praying. Peter has no clue yet. But his previous vision, the sheet, the various animals, insects, bugs, birds, etc. It will all come into play now when he gets to Cornelius' house. The men from Cornelius' house arrived at Simon the Tanner's home. 
They stood by the gate. I think that was wisdom. They want to be invited in. They don't want to just rush in. They're not even knocking at the door yet. Simon the Tanner deals with dead animals. I believe he's Jewish. Peter already was being prepared, but he doesn't know it. As you come and you study, you hear the Word of God. You hear the commentaries on God's Word. God's preparing you. Some of you that have been here for a a, a long time, years, God's preparing you. And look at the changes that have taken place because of the power of God's Word as the Holy Spirit, listen, leads you and guides you into all truth. This is what's going on with Peter now. Look at verse 18. And they called and asked whether Simon, uh, whose surname was Peter, uh, was lodging there. Again, I need to remind you, these men were loyal and obedient to their master, Cornelius. I mention it again because we live today in a world, in a society of no more loyalty. And God forbid, but no more obedience. What happened to the days of a handshake? My mom drilled this in our hearts. My grandfather, a migrant worker, came here from Mexico, crossed the border here in El Paso. My grandpa came across for two cents. Two cents. Migrated to Brawley, California. It was too hot there. And then they ended up in Southern California. My grandfather managed many farms and such, but he finally gets to this farmhouse And this gentleman just loves him, loves his family. My grandfather, with my uncles helping to translate and such, they were able to buy a house and property. Listen, there was no deed. No papers were written up. Mr. Escalera, and they shook hands. A handshake. My mom said about 20 years later, the farmer comes over, him and his wife, They have papers in hand, and they were kind of like, you know, we didn't know you were coming. He says, I'm not here to stay. I'm just here to give you some insight. Here's the deed for the house. You have paid it off. I I mean, no, no paper signed, but a handshake. And so these men I want to share with you are, are men of loyalty, men being led by the Holy Spirit of God. They're asking, is this Simon uh, the Peter, Simon Peter, or this is Simon the Tanner's home. This is is Simon Peter here. And so look at verse 19. Now, while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, this is the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. Behold, uh, three men are seeking you. The Holy Spirit, again, is going to lead you and guide you into all truth. We need to learn to listen to the voice of God. I want you to write this down in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Each church has a pastor. And as the Lord is giving this letter out, at the end of each letter, take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Now what Pastor Bob has to say. Not what Calvary Chapel believes, but what does the Lord have to say? Very important as the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us uh, into all truth. Look at verse 20. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing. 
for I have sent them. Oh, when I read those words years ago, it gripped my heart. Do not doubt, but have faith. Do not waver, but have faith. Trust in the Lord. It's, it's amazing to me how many things we trust as we're growing up. Now, I'm a lot older now. You can't get me on some of those rides at Disneyland. You can't get me on some of those rides. I see the carnivals come in, and I see the people going round and round. I'm just going, whoa, I can't do that. I can't do it. Give me a little merry-go-round. Oh, I'm happy. I'm happy. But, you know, when you're young, I'm sorry, you're, you're not all there. We did something evil at a carnival. My friend had just got home uh, on leave from Vietnam, and he wanted to go in the hammer. Some of you remember the hammer? And it was kind of empty. The carnival was closing up, and uh, my friend was acting a little bit cocky because uh, getting back from Vietnam, right? And so he gets in there, and one of the guys uh, that were with us flips the guy a 10 spot. He goes, keep him going. Man, I can still hear my friend Rudy. Ah! He wasn't so much of a hot shot then, but, you know, what is going on here? Are we listening to the voice of the Lord? Take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Look at verse 20. Arise and go down and go with him. Uh, again, doubting nothing, having faith. We know that Peter has this faith, but it did not come overnight. The Lord says, Peter, I have sent them. It's time for Peter now to obey. It's time for Peter to take the next step. You see, God presents everything to us, but it's up to us to stop doubting and to believe by faith. And it's up to us to step out by faith. Uh, look at verse 21. He says, then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius's house. And he said, yes, I am uh, he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And I have to say this. Peter is becoming a man of faith, a man of obedience. Listen to this. Because faith and trust are synonymous. A man of trust. A man of trust. You have to trust the Lord. You have to trust the Lord. You know the scripture, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he, listen, will direct your path. Will direct your path. I would not be here, my wife and I, all these years, if we did not listen to the voice of God. Am I perfect? No. No way. Have I made mistakes? Yes. Yes. Somebody asked my wife one day, has Pastor Bob, your husband, has he ever desired to write a book? And she goes, no. But if he did, he would write a book on our trials, our tribulations, the things we've gone through uh, in the last 30 plus years. And it would probably be part one and part two. And I've come to grips with it later in the years now. It'd probably be a part three also. Because we go through trials. We go through hardship. Uh, we go through, through pain. I don't care who you are. But sometimes pastors go through it more. And I go through it least compared to some of my pastor friends. But yet God brings us to that place. Peter 
man being tested, a man having to trust God. Look at verse 22. And they said, Cornelius, these are the men that come to Joppa now, Cornelius, the, the centurion, a just man. They give testimony of their master, a just man, a one who fears God and has a good reputation. Listen, among all the other nations. I love this. All the other nations of the Jews was divinely instructed by a holy angel uh, to summon you to his house and to hear the words from you. How can Peter question the Lord or these men? Yet he did earlier in verse 14. Peter said, not so, Lord, concerning eating things common and unclean. Yet here is a changed man now. <laughs> I recall when Jesus said to Peter, do you love me, Peter? He denied the Lord three times, remember? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus comes back. Peter, do you really love me? Yes, Lord. By this time, Peter's getting frustrated. And the third time, Peter, do you truly, really really love me. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What did Jesus say in those three questions? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed the body of Christ. I believe when Peter had denied the Lord three times that this was the place for Peter now to make amends with God, and he did. And God forgave him. God forgave him. Yet earlier in verse 14, I do not anything common and unclean, but a changed man. And that's what our life is about. A changed man or a changed woman. It's up to us to change. As the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you into all truth. All of you, including myself, we have backgrounds. And the only one that can change that is the Lord. Well, the backgrounds are still going to be there. But what is your testimony now? What is your testimony of the last 10 years, 5 years? I've often shared from the pulpit, I hope and pray you're not the same man, the same woman you were, let's say, a year ago. You've been coming to church for a year. You're listening to the Bible studies. You're reading the Word of God. You're praying. Has God transformed you? Has God changed you? Only God can take you away from the alcohol and the drugs and the fornication, the adultery. What about lying? What about cheating? What about gossip? I mean, there's so many sins out there, and we were part of it. Has God changed you? Has God changed you? This was Peter. He was going through the fire. Often found himself in heaps of trouble. And so this is why God has to get Cornelius. He'll speak to him. Cornelius has fear of going to the, the Jews' home. Come on. And then has to speak to Peter because he wants nothing to do with a, a Gentile. And yet God gets a hold of these two. We're going to continue, but let's finish verse 23. Then he invited them in. These men that came to speak to them lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Peter's a change in progress. 
He took in the Gentiles. Unheard of. Yet God was doing a work in Peter. God was doing a work in Cornelius. What about these men, these servants of Cornelius' household? One of them a soldier. The gospel can change any man, any woman that desires change, transformation, metamorphosis. God will never force you. You must freely come to the cross. A scripture that was given to me many years ago, and I've given it to you many, many times. This is a changed life in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Please live that. Don't just read it. Apply it to your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man, any woman be in Christ Jesus, behold, all things are passed away. All things have become new. That's a new creation. That's the born-again experience. That's what God wants to do in my life and what God wants to do in your life. God was getting a hold of this man, Cornelius. God was getting a hold of this man, Peter. Both different circumstances, both different background. But again, let's go back to the beginning. God doesn't look at the outward man. God doesn't look at your, you know, upbringing. I'm Jewish. I'm Gentile. God doesn't look at your racial background. God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be a color barrier. When we get to heaven, well, listen, the Baptists are over here. Presbyterians are over here. And Calvary Chapel's the middle of the road, so they're right about here. No, no, there'll be no pastors in heaven. Why do you need them? You're going to have the Lord there. You're going to have the Lord there. And then imagine sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I have this small theory. All the people you didn't like on earth, and they came to Christ like you did, and you still kind of stay away from them, they're going to be sitting next to you. Pass the butter. <laughs> and then before they pass it, you know, your kid. Mm. What's that hole? I don't know. Bugs. Those are my thoughts. You haven't come to Christ. Today is the day of your salvation. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Uh, we worship you. We stand in awe of your promises, Lord. Father, be with us. As we travel to Mexico, have your hand of grace upon us, Lord. And Father, we pray for each and every individual here this morning. I don't know if everybody's come to the cross, but uh, Lord, I want to speak to those that possibly have not. If you're not a Christian, you're not born again to the Holy Spirit, you haven't given your life to Christ, I'm not here to judge you, but I want to pray for you. If that's you, you'd like to receive Christ, please raise your hand real quick. And I'll say a simple prayer right there where you're at. Anybody before we close. Praise the Lord. We're all Christian. Let me ask the second question. Maybe you're here. You're in a backslidden condition. If that's you, you need to get right with God. Again, we're not here to judge you. I want to pray for you. If that's you, raise your hand real quick and I'll pray for you. Anybody here. I see your hand way in the back. I see your hand way in the back. Anybody else? Don't be embarrassed. I just want to pray for you. Anybody else real quick? 
And let's pray for these two individuals. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We stand in awe of your promises. Lord, bless these two that have raised their hand. They want to rededicate that life. They want to come back to the sheepfold. We don't know how far they've uh, stranded, but Lord, you do. But Lord, you're there. You'll leave the 99 sheep and you'll go after the one. And you'll bring them back into the sheepfold. So we pray. Lord, bring them back in. Forgive them, Lord. Cleanse them, Lord. Wash them, Lord. Empty them and fill them with your spirit. And lead them and guide them into your truth, Lord. Father, we ask that you would bless the offerings this morning. That you would uh, encourage our hearts as we pray and as we give. As we read the scriptures this morning. Bless the offerings. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.